guys hear me? Are we on? All right. Well, look out 2017. Here we come. Or maybe look out, everyone. Here comes 2017. Either way, it's our first week back for the new year. And did everybody hopefully find their way back okay after we didn't meet last week? Some of you, I feel like I have not seen you all year. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to think of something that made the year 2017 seem significant and not just kind of random and generic. And honestly, the best I could come up with was my old soccer number. I played soccer growing up. And at a certain point, I started wearing 17 on my jersey. Do you know why? Because there was a cool older player who wore 17. And when he left, I thought that would be cool if I did that. And that's the best I could come up with for this year. It kind of feels a little, I don't know, it just doesn't feel as special as other years maybe somehow. And yet here we are at the beginning, and we're probably thinking at least in some ways about a restart of uh, making changes, moving in a better direction, of maybe somehow being able to undo some things that we wish we hadn't done. And so we're going to talk about that today. Does anybody remember 2000? I know, some of you are thinking, well, maybe from my crib I remember it. Right. The year 2000 seems special. Y2K. Right. It was like not only was it like the end of the millennium, but there was this possibility of terrible computer problems. Like what if what if the nines turned to zeros and everybody thinks that the computers think that we're back in the year 1000 and it's medieval times and the Visigoths come. We don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. And so it made it like a more exciting new year. Well, for me, at the time, I was living in Japan, and I had another American buddy, a really good friend of mine who was living there also. And on New Year's Eve 2000, we were trying to figure out what will we do to make it special. And we sat around, if I remember correctly, at his place for a while, and we just couldn't think of anything. We had no ideas, or if we did, they were no good. We didn't want to go to some club or something. We really wanted to do something to be fun and meaningful. And in the end, you know what we ended up doing? We ended up taking the train to another friend's house, and the three of us sat around. And it was not that great. It was actually pretty awkward. You know, we, it was pretty lame. We, we didn't know that other friend that well. We went to his house, and then we, we'd never hung out like that before. So, you know, hey, this is really special. There was probably no eggnog. I don't remember, but I doubt it. Nothing happened at midnight. None of the catastrophe, none of the big computer failures that people had been predicting just three guys wishing that there was a better way to mark a time that was supposed to be special. And as I look back at it, I think, I think for 2000 and even for 2017, there's something about the new year that makes me want it to be significant. Like I look for some symbol of, of hitting the restart button, of getting a second chance, of maybe getting a, a clean slate in some area of life. And I think that's something we all want in big ways and small ways, a restart. Maybe you've said before, oh, I wish I hadn't eaten that. Or I wish I had spoken up. Or I wish I had asked for advice. Or I wish I had asked for advice from somebody who knew what they were talking about. I wish I hadn't spent so much on the gym membership that I did not use. Or I wish I had used the gym membership. Maybe you thought, I wish I could take back what I said. Or I wish I had greater strength of character. Have you ever felt any of these? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So today, what about you? Where do you want to restart? When I say restart, it's a, it's a catch-all. I'm talking about a few different things. I'm talking about 
a basic do-over, something you just want to take back, something you said, maybe something you did. But I'm also referring to moving in a different direction towards a better life in one way or another. Is there something for you that's in that category, something like maybe less stress about money, maybe better relationships? And I'm also referring to just an improvement inside personally. I know I feel that way a lot. Maybe you want more knowledge. You want to learn a new skill and improve your job prospects. Or maybe you want better focus, right? You want to be able to do things effectively. And, wow, there's a lot of empty chairs right there. Better focus, better focus. Or maybe you want control over your impulses. Whatever it is, that's what we're talking about when I say restart. It covers a lot of different ground. And it's experienced in a lot of different ways. For us, for me and my wife, Lori, family life is in a bit of a restart right now. We have a new son. So light nights can be kind of long, but we're all, of course, very excited. We were incredibly grateful for Asher. And at the same time, everybody's adjusting. So we have to make adjustments, and we have to bear with one another. And we're not always doing our best at that. Would you believe it? Sometimes the things I want are not the same things that my family wants. And then what happens? What do we do? Well, we need to hit that restart button sometimes. And then sometimes for me, I second-guess myself when it comes to work. And I just wish, man, I wish I'd done things differently. I wish I could go back in time and have made some different choices. And I, sometimes things at work don't go the way I want. Maybe you can relate. You know, I, Maybe it's not interesting enough for my tastes. Or maybe it's not impressive enough for my ego. Maybe it's not secure enough for, for my faith. And I'm tempted to think, am I, am I getting ripped off in life? Or maybe, maybe I'm not, but maybe I just made some really bad mistakes and now I have to watch the consequences sort of wash over me. When things get difficult like that, I really have to look at my perspective. Otherwise, I'm going to want to hit the restart button like all the way back to college when I chose my major, right? It's like I don't work in international studies or theater. So if that's your major, let's, let's talk afterwards. And <laughs> I'm tempted to think that if I'd done things differently, I'd be in a less precarious position right now. Well, guess what? This past week, I found out that my job at Disney, I work at Disney, I get paid to watch cartoons. Um, it's true. It's literally true. Um, and I found out this week that my job is going away sooner rather than later. I don't know exactly when. And, you know, in the middle of all that, I think, now what? Am I second-guessing myself? Yeah. But at the same time, God is really good. He's very faithful. And I can trace it back to so many, so many chapters of my work life at Disney and in other ways. And so stay tuned. But again, what would the restart look like for me? What, what, what's the longing in my heart as I face into the problems, the challenges of life? But even with all that, honestly, the thing right now that's kind of gotten at me the most is some difficult conversations that I had with a friend recently. They ended well, I'm really glad to say that, but along the way it was really frustrating, really discouraging. And I asked myself as we're talking, he, he's talking, I'm talking, and I'm thinking, how did we get here? Why can't we understand each other better? Like, I hear it, but it doesn't feel like he's hearing me, and I'm sure he feels the same way. I want the restart button. Where is it? Where is it? And it wasn't just the conversations themselves. I wish it was, but actually it was everything that led up to them. Because as we talked, I felt discouraged by the decisions that I had made that we were now talking about. And I felt like I'd really failed in some things that are important and that I want to be good at. 
without going into lots and lots of details, I just I looked back at key moments and I thought, I wish I could do that differently. If I had just done that part differently, we wouldn't be arguing right now. And I'd, I'd feel better about the way I'm handling life. If, if not that part, then at least this one, or at least this one. When it comes down to it, I just hate facing my inadequacies, my failures. I just hate that. I hate feeling like I can't do everything right all on my own. And yet it's true, I can't. Reality is just the worst sometimes, you know? It's terrible sometimes. So how about you? What's your story? Can you relate today, this year, to this feeling of wanting a do-over somehow? If, if you really stop to think about it, is there something you would take back or erase? Or another way to think about it is what is it in your world right now that you wish somehow you could breathe a new life into, that you could somehow make strong? What's it going to take to move forward in life with confidence and with courage? I know I want that. And to not have to live feeling like at any moment you're going to have to hit Control-Z again on something in a relationship or a job or a dream. Well, there's great news. God knows these things. Christ Jesus, God himself, knows what you and I are thinking right now. If something came to mind, he knows it. He knows our hopes and our regrets, and he lays out the way forward for each of us. Each time any of us longs for a restart, we have his direction available to us not just available to the pastor or the priest or the parents or the religious type, but to each of us. He offers great encouragement, and he speaks really clearly, puts it on the bottom shelf for a guy like me who maybe needs it down there where I can reach it easily. He offers it to everyone. In fact, one of the greatest encouragements, the one that I've been thinking about as I've been getting ready to speak today, starts with that word. He says, everyone, and he says, who? And we're going to come back to that later, and I hope it's helpful for you. It's so helpful for me. Everyone who, and we're going to look at that. But before we do, I I just want to spend some time to look at the one who said that, who made this great promise. And I'd like to spend some time looking at the effect he had on some of the people that encountered him. So we're going to shift gears, and we're going to dive into some stories about Jesus. And as we do, I want you to just do something a little different and take a moment and think back to where you were 12 years ago. What were you facing 12 years ago? I have so many dates today, 2017, 2000. Now it's 2005. What were you doing then? We have different challenges at different cha- uh, seasons of life, different stages. And about 12 years before this story started, two very different things happened. First of all, a child was born to a local leader, a daughter. You can imagine if you've had kids, you can imagine the joy and just the hope for the future, a new daughter, a new child. And right around the same time, 12 years before this story starts, a woman developed a health problem, and it was one that she would never have imagined would last all those years, 12 years. And it was like a curse over here for over her for all those years. She started to bleed. So as the story starts, the young girl is now 12 years old. She's precious to her parents. You can think for a moment, who's your favorite 11, 12, 13-year-old in your life right now? Okay? And the woman, her bleeding has never stopped. And because of this, she's ceremonially unclean. Back in 
those days, the Jewish laws and the customs said that if you were bleeding like that, you could not participate in religious life. In fact, if you touched anybody, they could not participate in religious life for the rest of the day. If they sat where you sat, they could not participate. And so for 12 years, she's been dealing with this. She's been sick. It's been getting worse. And she's also been cut off in some very significant ways from the people around her. You can imagine how that's affected her relationships. So let's look at this story together. This story, you can find it in Matthew or in Mark or in Luke. Those are three of the accounts of Jesus' life. But today we're going to look at Mark. And it starts just as kind of a sidebar. Jesus has just come across the sea. He was over there and he delivered a man from a huge mass of demons. And it was unbelievable and it was kind of controversial for the people who lived there. And it's a whole other story. You've got to go to Mark and read chapter 5 if you haven't read it recently. It's really amazing. But we pick up after he's come back across from that um, deliverance over to where we start. We're going to start in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now this... This is a story that has some different pieces to it. So we're going to go through the whole thing little by little. And we don't, we don't necessarily do this every week, but I hope that as we do it, you get a sense of the difference Jesus makes in people's lives as they turn to him. So Mark 5:21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. So this is a local leader. He comes... Uh, Jairus by name and seeing him seeing Jesus he fell at his feet this is in front of the whole crowd he falls at his feet and implored him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live and he Jesus went with him Jairus so Jairus had heard about Jesus right and he believes that Jesus has the power to save his daughter who is dying and Jairus a local big shot is willing even though He's prominent among the people there to humble himself before Jesus in front of a whole crowd. It's like he's saying to Jesus, I can't fix this, but you can, Jesus. Would you please help me? So the story continues. And a great crowd followed him, followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She goes to one doctor they try something, it doesn't work. Another doctor, another doctor. Finally, it's to where, well, you, you know that I'm a doctor and you have to pay me for my services and her money is gone. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She, she also, just like Jairus, had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now remember, this is a woman who should not be touching anyone. Nobody would want to be made unclean, especially by a stranger. But she was desperate. I would be too. And she had faith, just like Jairus. She she had faith that Jesus could help her. And she had faith that whatever happened, if the crowd got angry because they found out her story, that it would be worth it because she would finally be healed. Verse 29, And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body. Imagine that. She knew, oh, not that I feel a little better, but I really am healed. I'm completely healed. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, 
Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched you? Who touched me? All right, now let's pause and let's really try to imagine the scene. The woman comes up, and through the crowd, everybody's bumping into each other. She touches Jesus, and she knows that she is completely healed. Nobody else knows yet. They don't even know that she's been sick. Right? And Jesus has felt power go out of him. Now, he, he gladly allows this. This is not like a trick. You can't trick Jesus into getting healed. Right? This is something that he gladly allows. But now it's time to let everyone know what has happened, to bring it into the light so that this crowd can know the power of God and God can be glorified. And then imagine the disciples. I mean, can you relate to them here? I mean, it's a pretty legitimate question, right? Like, whoa, who touched me? It's like, uh, John just bumped me into you. I touched you. What, I don't get it. What, what are you asking? And then Jairus. Jairus is still there, right? Jesus said, yeah, I'll go with you. So Jairus is there, and he's like, what is going on? I need help from my daughter desperately, and now there's this strange delay. Let's look at verse 32. And Jesus, he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth, the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, and that's like saying, you're a part of God's family too. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this woman kind of lost in the crowd. Have you ever felt that way? And Jesus meets her right where she is. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And that, that to me is kind of like a reminder that Jesus knows me even in the midst of what can seem like just chaos and clamor all around me. He knows me personally, and he's going to meet me where I'm at. He's ready to give his help to you too as you reach out to him. Now, this woman would have defiled those she touched. We talked about that. She would have made them ceremonially unclean, but not Jesus. Jesus heals and makes us clean. Nobody makes Jesus unclean. And actually, this is something I had never thought of before digging into this story this week, but Jairus believed that too. Because when an unclean woman touches you, you don't want that newly unclean person coming into your house. And yet Jesus says, you come right in, please. I'm not worried about that in the slightest. You're Jesus. And then we're going to look at that in a minute, how Jairus brings Jesus to his home. All right, so verse 35, while he was still speaking, that's Jesus, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? No matter how happy you are for the woman, if you're Jairus, it's over. It's just the worst moment. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now, as a side note, we're not talking about a kitten poster belief, right? We're not talking about some, some random, if you just believe, if you just in your heart decide that it's true. We're not talking about that. We're talking about putting your belief in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. It's what you put your faith in, not having some sort of amorphous, untethered faith, right? So Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter. So Peter's there and James and John, the brother of James. Everyone else has to stay back. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? 
child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. One of the other accounts of the story says they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. I'm not sure what kind of laugh that was. The whole thing just makes me really uncomfortable. But we know Jesus knew what he was doing, right? They laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, that's Peter and James and John, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, pardon my Aramaic pronunciation, I don't know how to say this, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, immediately, the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, as you can imagine. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. This was not going to be helpful to his ministry at this time for the word to get out. And he told them, give her something to eat. That's kind of like the sign that she's completely well. She doesn't need the brat diet, right? She can eat whatever she wants. She is fully healed. She's fully restored. Give her something to eat. She's hungry. Now, what if Jairus had called a doctor? to his house after his daughter had died. Would that have helped? No, it's kind of absurd. So do we call a doctor in an area of our life where to call one is absurd? It's Jesus that we need to be calling, and only Jesus. Now, in the crowd at the sea, we're going to shift gears again. We, we looked at the girl and the woman, and... During this scene, Jairus was there and he arrived and asked Jesus for help. Peter was there. And Peter was also there when the woman was healed in the crowd and she told her story. Peter was also there when they went into Jairus' home where his daughter had been given new life. So now I want to transition from the girl and the woman to the disciple Peter. Peter was a man with the inside track. He experienced things that if, if you're a follower of Christ, you can only dream, right? of being in some of the places he was, hearing the things he heard, seeing the things he saw. If anybody should be getting it right, I think, I'm tempted to think, it'd be Peter, right? I mean, he was invited into Jesus' inner circle. He walked with Jesus on the water. There's a story where Jesus came across the water to his disciples who were in a boat, and they freaked out. They were like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, no, I don't think it's a ghost. And he said, Jesus, if that's you, would you tell me to come out to you? And Jesus said, yeah, come on out. And Peter walked on water. He also witnessed the transfiguration, as it's called, which is a moment Jesus went up and he took Peter and James and John, those same three that got to see so much more than anyone else. He took them up a mountain and he was transfigured, the Bible says, before them so that His face, Jesus' face, shone like the sun, and his clothes were white as light. And not only that, that's already so hard to imagine, but not only that, but Moses and Elijah were there talking to Jesus, and Peter got to see that. And it was super awkward. Peter said, uh, it's really good that we're here with you guys. We could build tents. I could build tents for the three of you. And I just, I, this is a ridiculous speculation, but I kind of imagine James and John like, dude, there's three of them. We could each build a tent. Why are you taking everything for yourself? It didn't matter because God, God himself actually immediately said, hey, this is my son whom I love dearly. Listen to him. And that's what Jesus, that's what Peter needed to hear, right? So he was there for that. 
Now, at the same time, Peter made mistakes. When he walked out on the water, he gave in to fear. If you know the story, you remember that he walked towards Jesus and then he got scared, started looking down, and he started falling into the water. Jesus had to pull him out, and Jesus had to say, hey, where's your faith? And another time, excuse me, um, Peter tried to, he, he said that Jesus was the Christ, like that Jesus asked them all, hey, who do people say I am? And they kind of gave their answer, what the crowd thought, and they said, but what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he got it right. And yet, the passage right after that describes how Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. He tried to say, Jesus, you're talking about dying. You're talking about being raised from the dead in three days. That doesn't make sense. That's not what's going to happen to you. And Peter, uh, Peter had to be put in his place. Jesus said, you are thinking of the things of man, not the things of God. In fact, you need to get behind me. He even called him Satan. So Peter made mistakes. But none of that really compares at all to Peter's lowest moment. Now, this isn't up on the screen, but in Matthew chapter 26, I encourage you to read this on your own. It's getting close to when Jesus is being arrested and he's going to be crucified. And he says to his disciples, you guys are all going to abandon me. And they say, no, no, we're not. We wouldn't. And Peter says, I will never abandon you. Even if I have to die, I will not. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now, have you ever been warned about a mistake and then you did it anyway? One time I got a pocket knife. My, it was all these knives. I was a little kid. My grandfather said, he gave it to me for Christmas and said, now look, don't open more than one blade at a time. You're going to cut yourself. Well, I was a super smart eight-year-old or whatever it was, and I thought, no, I know better than Grandpa. So I opened up a bunch and I cut myself. Have you ever done that? That's what happened to Peter. Jesus says, Peter, you will do this. And somehow Peter couldn't avoid doing it anyway. He was so terrified. They, went, they arrested Jesus. They took him on. Peter kind of followed along. Somebody said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 no. And then somebody said again, I'm pretty sure you were with Jesus. He said no again. And the third time, one of the accounts of the story says that Peter called down curses on himself. As he said, I do not know Jesus. Have you ever been so afraid that you betrayed someone? at their greatest hour of trouble? Probably not, right? I hope not, right? We're not living those kind of lives for the most part. But have you ever done something and then immediately wished you could take it back? Oh, if I could hit the restart button right now. I've got to think that's what Peter thought. The rooster crowed, and he knew that Jesus was exactly right. And so this disciple who had everything, the inside track, he ruined it. He wrecked it. And yet... Just like he gave the girl and her family exactly what they needed, and he gave the woman exactly what she needed, Jesus gave Peter exactly what he needed. He gave him forgiveness. And he actually reinstalled him as a huge part of his plan to let the world know about God's love. There's another great story in John 21. You can, again, you can read this later. It's, it's pretty funny. You know, they see Jesus and... Peter, somebody says, it's Jesus, and they're not sure because it's after he's come back to life and he's only appearing sometimes. And 
Peter gets all excited and he jumps out of the boat that they're in and like goes over to the shore and then later he like runs back and drags the whole net of fish in by himself and after all this and they're all sitting there eating breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh yes, I, I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, says, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you, you know that I love you. And then he says, okay, well, take care of my sheep. And then he asks him a third time. Now, if Jesus asks you something three times, it's not a mistake, right? Nobody's stuttering. It's like it's for emphasis. Peter, do you love me? And Peter is really hurt, the story says. It says, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, yeah, take care of my sheep. And then he says, you're gonna, you, when you were young, you got to do what you wanted. You dress yourself. You go where you want to go. When you get old, actually, someone else is going to dress you, and you're going to go where you do not want to go. And he's predicting how Peter would die for the cause of Jesus and his kingdom. And so he gives him forgiveness. And he gives him a new sense of mission. And he also reminds Peter it actually costs to restart with Christ. Uh, it's not going to cost you and I in the same way that it cost Peter, but it'll cost us too. And so it's good to be reminded of that. So to summarize, the girl received life. She was given back to her parents. The woman received healing. And her relationships with the people around her, with her church, were restored. And the disciple, Peter, received forgiveness and a new sense of mission. The restart is offered to everyone. It's offered to everyone. And here's the passage that I'm so excited to share with you guys today. You've probably read this before if you've been around church world at all. But this, for me, lays it on the bottom shelf. No matter what I'm facing, I'm facing just feeling inadequate, wanting to undo mistakes, wishing I was stronger, wishing things were better between me and this person over here. Whatever it is, here's a way that Jesus lays out that we can all grab hold of. So, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's the key. If I had something that could make an underline on the screen, I'd underline it or circle it or something. You can do that if you'd like. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came because that's life. We're going to have struggles in this life. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. However, he goes on because the opposite is also true. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So there it is, just on the bottom shelf for all of us. No matter what happened last year, no matter what happened last week or even this morning as we came to gather together here, right now, starting here, we are each building something. We're building a house, a foundation. And this can be a restart for us.
What should we build on? Do we ignore the wisdom that God has laid out for us in the Bible? These are the words of Jesus that he's referring to here. Do we make excuses so we don't have to hear his words? Is there some way we can sort of be tricky and say, well, I didn't really know, so then I didn't have to do it, right? With everything we've mentioned earlier, whatever God may be brought to your mind, things that you're facing right now, God has laid out for us. Jesus' words give us an unbreakable foundation that we can move forward on. So how will we respond? And this can be sobering. It's sobering for me. And yet, Jesus encourages us, even as he warns us. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's right, the restart is for everyone. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, the yoke, by the way, means you're teaming up to do God's work with him. It's kind of the image of two oxen pulling a plow or something together. Jesus stands right beside us as we try to do the things that he gives us to do. He pulls with us. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So he invites us to join him. He, we can submit to him. That's what he's inviting us to do. But he carries our load with us and he walks alongside us. So today at the beginning, sort of, it's January 8th of 2017, what do we do with this challenge and this invitation? As Jesus offers us new life, as he offers us healing, as he offers us forgiveness, because it's, it's up to us how we respond. And in that sense, my response is the restart. Your response is the restart. If you're not a believer, if you're not sure about God and Jesus, I can, I can really relate to that. We don't have time to get into a bunch of it, but that's where I was for many years. If that's you today, then your response might be just to search diligently. You're here with a group of people who a lot of whom would say, the only way to live life that makes sense to me after I've looked at everything else is to follow Jesus. So you could search diligently to figure out if that's true or not. Go for the best sources. Right? Try to figure out who's the, who are the smartest people, the smartest people I know, the smartest writers who actually believe this. And what, what do they say about it? And then what do I think about what they say about it? Just keep, keep digging in because I went for many years without doing that and it was such a waste of time. I really hope that that won't be you. Now, if you're a believer, if you've said, Jesus, you are the boss of my life, if at some point you've done that, you've figuratively kneeled down the way Jairus did, the way the woman did, and said, I can't fix this myself. I need your help, Jesus. If you've done that, then the response for you may be to ask yourself today, who's in charge? Before I said Jesus was, well, what about now? Or you could pray, you can ask Jesus, have I been unwilling to take on your yoke and learn from you? Am I really letting you be the boss of my life, or am I trying to keep you at a distance in some way? Don't we so often try to solve our problems without Jesus? I do, again and again. Well, we don't have to do that. We don't have to try everything else first. So we're just about done here, and I just want to leave you with one final encouragement. Again, you can look this up later and read it. In Matthew 15, amazing things were happening. And a small piece of that story is that the great crowds came to Jesus, and he healed them, and so the crowds wondered 
when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they, the crowd, glorified the God of Israel. And we can do something similar as we turn to Jesus and as we tell our stories. The crowds wondered at the changes that Jesus made in people's lives. And people will wonder about that in our lives too. So what stories can we tell? Or moving forward today, what stories will we be able to tell? It could be something like, I I used to struggle with anger and now I'm learning to be patient and kind. I have never known peace like this before. It's because of Jesus. Or it could be something like, I used to do all kinds of things to get people's attention. But now I'm learning from Jesus how to serve and how to build up others. And my relationships have never been better, never been sweeter. Or maybe the story will be something like, I was constantly worried about money. But now Jesus is the boss of my life and I have greater contentment than ever before. And I've seen God work in amazing ways. And we take all those stories and as a church, we kind of line them up as we meet people and share with them your story, your story, my story, his story, her story. And people will wonder and be amazed and God will be glorified and more people will be rescued. That's our hope for us. Church in the Valley, Alhambra, and for all of you as we launch into 2017. Let's look at a few quick next steps. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to have our offering. We're going to sing another song. If you could take out your connection card that Alex was having you fill out earlier. These are some next steps that I hope will be really practical for you if one of those makes sense for you today. The first one is you might want to memorize Matthew 7:24, just to be able to repeat that to yourself anytime you face the storms of life. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house, who built his house on the rock. And maybe for you, the next step is the biggest one of all. Maybe You've been thinking about whether God is real. You've been thinking about whether Jesus really should lay claim on your life. And you've come to the point where, yes, it makes sense. And you want to submit to Christ. And I encourage you to do that. You can do that right now. You can tell him, I can't fix me on my own. Please help me. I will follow you. Another next step might be to allow Christ, if you've already made him your king, your boss, You might say, you know what, there's this area of my life and I have not let you be in charge. So would you please direct my restart in this area and I will, as best I can, allow you to do that. Let go of it and give it to you, Jesus. Those are some next steps you can consider. If you'd like, you can mark those on your cards. If you have prayer requests, you can mark those. We would love to pray for you this week as we all lean in to whatever God has for us in 2017. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing another song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for your great mercy on us, for your, your grace uh, that you pour out on us in the middle of the good and the bad and the ugly of our lives, the mistakes we make, the struggles we can't seem to overcome. I pray that today for for every person here, and I certainly include myself, that we would humble ourselves before you. That we would take on your yoke, that we would give you the lead, that we would line up 
with you to head in your direction and that we would be encouraged and strengthened through you as we do that. To do the things you have for us and to take hold for the first time ever or in a new way this morning and this year to the life, the best kind of life that only you can offer us. Would you please do that for each of us and help us to share that with the people around us as well. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives and in the lives of the people around us the way that it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.